0: Amen. Amen. How y'all doing? Praise God. Praise God. Let's give our kiddos a hand clap as they exit out. Let's give them a hand. I think one of them dabbed me on the way out. They were like, I'm out of here. Um, um, uh, We we made a subtle change. I don't know if you guys have noticed. We are keeping um, our seven and up in the service, during worship, that's intentional. Um, and we want to have our children watch us and model what worship looks like uh, in a congregation. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that subtle change. I saw a few of them singing out. Yeah, praise God for that. I saw a few of them singing out praises to God you know, at 7 and 9 and 12. That, that's a powerful thing. That's why it's important that we model what worship looks like for our kids. They shouldn't learn how to raise their hand from the people on the stage. They should see you doing that in your kitchen and in your living room. And so we thank God for that. Thank God for the volunteers. Thank God for Fellowship Kids, GF Youth. Just thank God for what he's doing. Um, shout out to Pastor Danny Williams and his wife, Laura. <laughs> a pastor at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. And uh, we were short some musicians this week and I asked him would he come, and he just gladly said yes and so glad to have my friend and brother here with us. A um, couple of announcements as we get into today. Um, there is Weekend to Remember is coming up. It is a marriage conference. It will be happening at the Marriott um, Resort or Hotel uh, in East Delray. Uh, It is a um, three-day marriage conference. I want to say my wife and I have gone three or four times. We'll be attending again. It's just a good time for those that are married to dig into um, just their relationship. If you want a strong marriage, it's going to take work. It doesn't happen because you said I do. And so I want to encourage you to, to, to get into that. And then last but definitely not least, at the end of service, we are having Life Group signups. Yeah, Life Groups are back. Uh, we had a leadership meeting yesterday, and I think one of our, our lovely leaders kept confessing sins just in the group meeting, and I said, you miss Life Group, don't you? You miss prayer and confession portion of Life Group. I'm um, so excited to have it coming back. We have five Life Groups, and at the end of service, you'll be able to go in the back. We'll have tables set up, and you'll meet those leaders, and you can sign up electronically. Uh, You'll get more information about that in the announcements. But just wanted to to mention that. Amen? We are in our series. We're continuing our series called It's Complicated. um, And we're taking a biblical look at modern issues in our culture. And so last two weeks, we spent on sexuality. And this week, we're talking about race. Um, The gospel is simple, but... These issues are complicated, and how we live out the gospel is complicated. And so, I want to continue to give you a roadmap for where I'm going. The first two weeks are on sexuality. This week is on race. Next week is on politics. The final week will be on work. Pray for your boy. Amen. Um, so, why do we talk about race? It's a good question. I want to answer it on, on the on the onset. Um, he made us one race but it's expressed in different ethnicities and cultures and, and the way we do life varies. And so we, we, we need to have that understanding coming into it um, and we need to address how those variations have happened in our culture. Um, another reason we talk about race is just because it's a core value for our church. We believe God is calling us to be a multi-ethnic church and if we're going to go in that direction, it's something that we need to talk about often and grow in, right? And so I remember the first time preaching about this back at Cross Point Elementary, um, and I think geez, even in my own preaching and own development, I feel like I've grown in my understanding of what God is calling that kind of um, expression to look like. And so it's a core value for us. And then lastly, our culture is inundated with racial implications to our lives. And if God has called us not to be in a holy bubble um, or or holy huddle and just hide out amongst Christians and always say Christian things, if he's actually called us to engage our culture, we need to be fluid on what our culture is talking about. Amen? So my aim for this series stays the same. It is to equip missionaries to love, learn, and engage the world with the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel. As I'm equipping you, I want to give you a few resources. You'll see the screen behind me with these three books. I commend them to you. The first book is by Brian Laritz. It's called Insider, Outsider. Um, It is an incredible read. I I commend that to you as he traces his journey um, as a stranger in white evangelicalism and uh, his hope for us all. Tony's Evans' classics book, "Oneness in uh, Oneness Embrace," Oneness Embrace, and then this is also a great book called "Divided by Faith." Um, Divided by Faith, tackling the problem of race in our country. And so I want to commend those works to you uh, that you can check out um, on your own. It was cool that I saw somebody post on Facebook that they were actually getting the the books that I was recommending. Um, I think if you're going to be serious about working through the issue, you have to be well-read. Somebody say books over articles. Cool, I like it, I like it, I like it. Um, So let's first start talking about the culture. We live in a culture that's inundated with with race and its divisive nature. Uh, You can't turn on either Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, CBS, whatever floats your boat without hearing in the news that one person is calling another person a racist. You see its implications, unfortunately, on Sunday morning where we say things like white church, black church, Hispanic church, Asian church. And we see it as the great sin of American culture Or America as a nation is this sin of racism. Our culture has an us versus them mentality when it comes to race. So I wanna jump into the word, and then I wanna talk a little bit more about just where we are and how God's calling us to break barriers. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. What time is it? Let's get it. Galatians 2. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Got three points for you today, breaking barriers. It's a title, How how Did We Get Here? Number two, What's My Allegiance? And number three, On Mission Together, Let's Pray and Dive In. Father, thank you. Father, we need your help unpacking this topic. We pray that you would speak to us, that the Holy Spirit would do its work. Where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. Where we need to be convicted, convict us. Leave us change this morning. Give us fresh perspective. Help us to see what your word has to say about it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I've been trying to do in this series is to take you back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. When we talk about subjects, it's important for us to look at what creation says about it. So I want to go back again, like I did in sexuality, to the garden. God makes man and woman in his image and in his likeness. If you believe the creation narrative, here's what you believe. All of us came from Adam and Eve. If you're going to believe the Bible, if you're going to believe what the Bible says about faith, if you're going to believe what the Bible says about sin, if you're going to believe what the Bible says about redemption, you you, you have to believe we came from Adam and Eve. And from our foreparents, we have all of the diversity that we see in our world today. So how did God make our four parents? He made him in, their, in his image and in his likeness. That's important. But like I have said last week, and, and, and it's important for us to just understand this, our four parents dropped the ball when sin came into the world, so did brokenness. So last week, we talked about sexual brokenness. This week, I want to talk about racial brokenness. Sin has had a huge effect on how humans live together. And sin brings distance. Sin brings oppression. Sin brings mistreatment. I wanna read this quote to you by Dr. John Perkins. He says this, there is only one race, but over time we've elevated things like skin color and hair texture and language and ethnicity to a level where they become the main criteria we use to judge entire groups of people. And then we take those classifications and assign them values that we use to include or exclude folk, to normalize or to stereotype, to celebrate or to denigrate. We use these things to determine who we hire, the boundaries of neighborhoods, who gets pulled over by police, the length of prison sentences, and on it goes. Here's what uh, Perkins, Dr. Perkins, great civil rights leaders, great community activists, here's what he says. We all are one race, the human race. Coretta Scott echoed those sentiments in her life. We're, we're, We're all of one race. But the way that one race is expressed varies. The problem is, and what racism does, is it pins the differences in our race against each other and make the races. Now, why is it important that you you let that settle in your heart from the onset? Is because when Christ dies on the cross, he dies to make one new man or humanity. And if you struggle with this idea, you're going to struggle with seeing how really God's call is for us to lock arms together and to carry out his mission. He made us one. This is why Jesus in his high, he, his high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying that same kind of sentiment. Lord, I pray that my people would be one just as we are one. So, this high view of God and how we are made in his image and the oneness he is trying to bring about in our humanity is important. So, we need to be tethered to that or tied to that awareness as we look at race in our culture. So, then, Rodney Kuhl, what is racism? And if God's called us to be one, and he has this grand idea for us to be one, how did racism come in and have its effect? Now, I don't know if you know this, but this month uh, commemorates 400 years since the transatlantic slave trade has taken place, since slave ships have hit our coasts in America. It's been 400 years, 1619. 1619. If God has called us to be one, how do you explain such atrocities like slavery? Let me give you a working definition. Racism is often defined as an overt idea of racial superiority, usually labeled prejudice or discrimination. In other words, uh, and, and this isn't hard to see, this is, this is overt, this is, this is you're walking up to a water fountain and you see a water fountain for whites and a water fountain for colored people. That's overt, that's, that's in your face, you can't, you can't miss that. Or you see a swimming pool for colored people and a swimming pool for white people, and there's, there, there's a huge difference in the quality of where swimming is happening and how swimming is happening because it's not just separation, it's discrimination. That's, that's easy to see. We see that in slavery, where millions of Africans were taken and packed into cargo ships and driven into forced labor. We see that in Jim Crow's laws throughout segregation, that although slavery was abolished, Jim Crow's made African-American black people second-class citizens. We see this because of the necessity of the Civil Rights Movement. We see this with the rise of the KKK and and lynchings happening right after church. This This is overt, this is something you can't miss, and, and, and in 2019, I think we all can look at that and point to that and say wrong. We can also look and point to say that the way Dominicans and Haitians interact, that's wrong. We can also look at that and say the tension between Cubans and Puerto Ricans, that's that's wrong. the 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 the, high, the, the, the problem of lighter-skinned African-Americans and how they interact with darker-skinned African-Americans. It's it's wrong whenever we we, we look at the texture of our skin or our color or our culture or or our ethnicity and we discriminate, discriminate against someone else. That's wrong. That's easy to see, hopefully. And so, yes, that's racism, but today I want to talk about something else, see the the, the problem with only categorizing those things as racist or racism is when you don't see those things, you conclude racism is over. So now when I walk to a water fountain and there's only one water fountain, we don't have a race problem in this country. When I, when, I, when, when, when I can go to the same school as people from different races and sit in the same classes and graduate with the same degrees, that's not a race problem in this country. But I want to read this, this quote from Divided by Faith. The problem is when we link racism to specific, measurable actions, when we don't see those actions, we can conclude there is no more racism in our country. But here's my question, if Satan is the great deceiver, And the mistreatment of people of color is often referred to as America's great sin. Do you think he's going to stop his, his plight of racism because we sign legislation? Can a paper signed by a president change the human heart? Then my... I'm wondering if there's something else that's still at work in today's culture. I think this was um, clearest for us to see about three years ago. Um, I think about three years ago. Uh, I think it was the strongest, at least in my little opinion, I think it's the strongest sense that, I, that, that I've seen and heard that, that racism is over. There's no more... There's no more discrimination we't need to talk about this. we're wasting our time. Let's just march together. there's no no, no, maybe a few people over here and a few people over there. there's no more racism. I mean, there was a black president in the White House. How can there be racism? Hispanics are growing to become the, the majority race in, in a very short period in, in 20 years or so they'll be how can this Racism still exists. Colleges and universities are cranking out people of color. How can this racism still exist? Our neighborhoods and schools are more diverse than ever. How can racism still exist? But I love what Christian Smith says about this. He proposes another term, radicalization. Here's what this says. It understands that racial practices that reproduce racial divisions in the contemporary, contemporary United States are increasingly covert. Here's what he's arguing. It's not in your face anymore. It's less subtle. Let me pause here. Let me pause here and say this. Please understand how wicked your heart and my heart is. And a good understanding of sin helps us not put anything past us. You see, in my mind, here's what I'm already assuming about you. All of us are struggling with racism. The same way for the past two weeks, all of us have to deal with sexual sin, not just one sin. So all of us this morning, somewhere in your heart, this is my assumption, I could be wrong, there could be those on the, on, you know, on the, who, who, who would say, you know, that's not really my struggle. I get that. But here's what I'm assuming. Whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Hispanic, you're dealing with something in that corrupt heart of yours. Love you. <laughs> but to say that I don't deal with racism is a prideful, arrogant statement, and, and, and at least you should, should do some discovery to ask, is there anything in my heart that still... So please don't quickly dismiss me this morning. You see, in our, I believe in our culture, it is increasingly covert. It's embedded in normal operations of institutions and it avoids direct racial terminology. So, it may not be racial slurs being thrown at you. It may not be Emmett Till lying in the casket in front of a church beaten badly for whistling at a woman. But it does not mean there is no more racism. I think the place where we see this, the clearest, is in our criminal justice system. It is in what started happening in the 70s, this idea of mass incarceration. And what you begin to understand is, there's still institutions and systems that seek to disproportionately oppress people of color. We have to be cautious not to just call that, well, they made a bad decision. When the U.S. is home to 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prisoners, the majority of those are people of color, we have to begin to ask honest questions. Is the same system that took place 400 years ago still at work behind the scenes in a covert way to disproportionately oppress, to segregate families, and to destroy people of color in the criminal justice system, primarily African-American men. And if that is the case, what are Christians going to do about it? Point two. My allegiance. I, we talked about how sin comes in and it, it separates, it divides in all kinds of cultures, in all kinds of ethnicity, based on superficial traits, based on surface stuff, sin makes me look at somebody different than me and assume I know things about them that I may not know. Sin separates us. This, this week, uh, seems like since Monday, this has been this great debate. over Chick-fil-A and Popeye's chicken sandwiches. (laughs) Y'all know at some point I was going to hit this sermon. Y'all know at some point it's coming. (laughs) And and, and I mean, everybody's chimed in. Everybody's done their Facebook video stuff. But you know what? Everybody made a choice on who they were going to choose. You have some loyalists that understands the anointing that's on Chick-fil-A. And you have others that were running and going after a new thing that they saw. And I'm not here to give you my, my, my pick because I'm not waiting in those lines yet. But here's what I will say. In all of the posts, I didn't say man, both of these are some really good chicken sandwiches. I didn't hear them say, man, you may like this, but this is almost just as good. In other words, our our culture and the way we're wired is driving us to choose one over the other. Try to get us to place one better than the other, and then even when it wasn't about chicken service, chicken service is about who has the best customer service. <laughs> Let me get that to my sermon. <laughs> so, what about allegiance? In Acts chapter two, we see that the apostles are trying to deal with some widows that are being mistreated in the first century church. Here's a good footnote. Discrimination has been in the church from the beginning. Don't say stuff like, I just want to get back to Acts chapter 2 where they had all things in common and they shared everything and we were just together. It It was drama. Whenever sinners get together, under the banner of Jesus Christ is going to be drama. So they had these widows that weren't receiving stuff, and so the apostles had to put in place some deacons to deal with that discrimination, and Peter, because he was the leader of the apostles, was a part of that decision. In Acts chapter 10, God has to deal with Peter about his, his, his indifference and his discrimination and his, his separation from his Gentile brothers and sisters. You see, Peter was a Jew, and and Peter's mindset was, I am to have nothing to do with those Gentiles, even though he saw Jesus. spend time with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Peter, in his mind, said, yeah, Jesus did it, but you know what? I don't want nothing to do with those dirty, unclean Gentiles. And God, knowing that one of the things I have to do in Peter's heart is I can't just deal with his spirituality and not deal with his racism or his, his ethnic pride or his nationalism. Jesus did not just come to deal with the spiritual parts of you. He came to deal with the whole you. So God has to deal with Peter and he lets this sheet come down and all these animals are on this sheet. And he tells Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I ain't killing because some of them animals ain't clean. He tells you to go talk to that coworker at work. I ain't going to talk to that co-worker because you know how they are. We, like Peter, say, clean, unclean. You can come to my house you can't. I'll trust you. I ain't never trusting you. And God, through his providence and wisdom, leads him to a Gentile named Cornelius, and it helps Peter to drop his pride off of his eyes and finally see that God has come to the Gentiles. So when we show up in in Galatians chapter 2, and Peter is there eating with the Gentiles. It almost makes sense. Finally, Peter got it. Finally, he's understanding that this gospel is a multi-ethnic gospel, that God is not just trying to save one set of people. He's trying to save the nations. You would think Peter have arrived at the conclusion that this table is a diverse table for the Supper of the Lamb. When we get to heaven, it's going to be diverse. And Peter's there, and he's eating with the Gentiles, which concludes he's eating Gentiles' foods. He's eating foods that that the Jews would say would be unclean, and that's where our text picks up. And we find out that Peter, as soon as the other folk ride up, Peter starts backing up. He starts separating himself. Here's a couple of things that we learn from Peter. This is good. It is possible to be a Christian, love Jesus, preach the gospel and struggle with racism or ethnic pride. So we need to repent. When God brings to our eyes our sin, whatever our sin is, one of the marks of a Christian is when they see their sin, they don't wallow in it, they don't paint it over, they don't try to create something to make their sin okay. When they see their sin, they repent. So I say to gospel fellowship if you this morning see sin of racism or ethnic pride, repent. Number two, to try to serve multiple allegiances always leaves you looking like a hypocrite. Some of us, we have our black friends. And when we get in black circles, we act like this. And then we got our white friends. and we get in white circles, We act like this. We have our Hispanic friends, and and then we have our family, and we act a certain way around our family, and your whole day is like this. You are being a hypocrite. You're not being authentically you. And so every day you have to put on different masks. This is this is this is what hypocrisy means in this text. It means that you are playing the part, you are putting on masks, and you have different voices, and you have different inflections, and you have different languages that you use. And, and, and listen, some of that you need to navigate the culture in which you live. But if you are being completely different people, something is wrong. And why? Why do we do that? It's because we got too many allegiances. You see, the truth is, God calls us to one allegiance. That's allegiance to him. The third thing we learn from Peter is this. I need people around me to lovingly help me put my lesser, or or, or things that I'm making my allegiance that don't need to be my allegiance. I need people around me to call me out on my sin. And this is one of the beauties of being, watch this, a multi-ethnic person. Because then you have people around you that can point out your inconsistencies and you can have honest dialogue and honest conversations and you can ask questions about places where you're ignorant or places where you just don't know. We need to be reminded though that my allegiance to Christ trumps my race, trumps my ethnicity, trumps my nationality. Because Paul says to Peter, what you doing, that ain't the gospel. What you're, you're, how you're acting and conducting yourself and and putting your allegiances in in nationalities and your Jewish brothers and sisters, that ain't a step with the gospel. When the gospel has freed us to follow Christ and to serve him, and when he becomes our identity, we care less and less and less about what other people say about us. This is why black nationalism, if that's your primary, your primary allegiance, it's out of step with the gospel. This is why white supremacy is out of step with the gospel. So I'm not just this black Christian, this white Christian, this Hispanic Christian. I'm a Christian. It just so happens that I'm black. And I'm black. And this is how God made me. And I like being black. I'm first Christian, which means my allegiance to my white brother is stronger than my allegiance to somebody that looks like me at work. Amen. So we've been justified by faith. By the end of Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, here's what we see that Peter was governed by fear and not the gospel. And I believe the temptation for us in this culture is to be governed by fear of others and not the gospel. So regarding our race, what do we do? We must come to Jesus. We must come to the cross and surrender our allegiance to him, to surrender our hurt to him, to surrender our... Our fear of others. This is the term xenophobia. We talked about homophobia last week. Xenophobia is the fear, the fear of people that are different from us. we got to surrender that to Jesus. Surrender to him at the cross. We bring our biases, we bring our prejudice, we bring our racism, and we surrender it to Jesus at the cross. Point three, and I'm done. Ephesians 2, verse 12 says this. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope in the world and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, good news, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law's command, expressing ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because of the resurrection, he has called us, church, to display what we are, a new people with new allegiances. And so what does that mean for us as we think about and talk about race? We recognize that we are one human race, and what what people call racial problems is really them trying to label prejudice over one race versus another. So we recognize what people are saying. I'm not saying don't use the word race or racism because we understand what people mean, right? There's a history behind that stuff. But when we hear that, we don't let that be the thing that has our primary allegiance. Our primary allegiance belongs to Christ. And so we speak to those issues and we speak about those issues in light of who we are in Christ. And so someone that has been oppressed by racism, their primary need is not revenge. It's not retaliation. Their primary need is they are in desperate need of saving by Jesus Christ. Those that are in positions of power and using their privilege to oppress other people, we don't just, just shy away from them or just work to, to deconstruct that system of oppression, although we should. Our primary focus is understanding that whoever those people are that we encounter are people in desperate need of Jesus. We got to work towards that because Jesus himself is killing hostility. The gospel will make enemies friends. The gospel will turn stereotypes into stories. And what I'm saying won't be easy. I think it is easy for us to be driven by, by, by hate or malice or, or fear or, or, or not wanting to give up control or privilege or power. I think these things can drive us or just the fear of the unknown. So it won't be easy. he doesn't call us to stuff that are easy. He calls us to be salt and light and to make a difference in our culture. So Rodney, you talked about some of those injustices earlier. What do we do? And here's something that I thought about this week, is whatever we do, we do it together. Every Tuesday, our staff meets, uh, and we work on stuff for GF. It's our staff meeting on Tuesday mornings. And, and in our staff meeting, it is me and and really a Caribbean American guy. There is Seth, a white guy, and then there's Sandra, um, a Mexican woman. And we all sit and discuss this church and the things God's calling this church to do. The fact that our staff is diverse helps us not have blind spots as we're walking out how God's calling us to lead this church. Helps us not make sweeping statements and not considering different groups and populations within this church. We are better because of that. And so in that same way, I'm calling you to say, as you see something that God's calling you to work on, whatever that is, don't do it with just people that look like you, act like you, think like you, dress like you, vote like you. Do it with people that are different than you. In a divided culture, that's going to be a powerful witness and testimony on what the gospel can accomplish. To see people that are real friends, not just go to church together, sit next together, do a meal every once in a while together, but people that are really connected, living out what the gospel looks like in different spheres of their life, putting our preferences down and taking up the cross. So whatever we endeavor to do, do it together. We got an email this week from um, a juvenile detention center, and they were asking the questions, how can the church uh, partner with us to, 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 to reach students and kids that are, that are in the Juvenile detention Center. We were like, lay up. Like, that's, like, man, like, what a door that God's given us to just enter into something we don't just need to talk about all day long, but we need to move into, celebrate what God is doing with, with you moms and their steps towards um, in, engaging what is the modern-day widow as these young girls are having children, and how we can serve them. So we step into where the pain is, but we don't do that with a mono-ethnic approach. We do that in a multi-ethnic way that brings glory to our King. Amen? Amen. Everyone standing, I'm through. I I am unsure of what the Spirit is dealing with you about in your heart.